Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, J.D. Poo. Hello, Sophie Wee. You're nearly sounding back to yourself. What if I don't come back and this is just the new me? I like it. It's sexy. It is, it's sultry. It? I'm finding it hard to concentrate. Yes, I actually said the other day in a, what did I say, in a really seducive tone, like, hey, babe, can you get me the toilet paper? <laughs> and Harry looked at me like, damn, girl. So basically everything you say is great fabulous. now. That's right. How good, Rudolph. Fabulous. Fabulous. Yeah, I get fabulous. How's your week been? Yeah, really, really good, thank you. Actually, it's been really bad. I have had laryngitis. Joinus. And I haven't been able to use my voice, as I mentioned previously, but it has lingered on. But besides that, I have had a good week. I went to the markets with you and we sold a little bit of stuff which was nice mm-hmm. and we got to see it's some nice to cull the house it was nice and... to cull the house but it was also nice to see some beyond the bump fans they listeners <laughs> oh sorry listeners you're all fans come on and have a chat to them and it was just beautiful it was a really nice morning yeah we, loved yeah, we it. had some really really beautiful women come up to us and say that they're you know they've been listening for a long time and they've found the podcast helpful Another great thing from this week, I'm just totally going to hijack you, is the feedback we've had from last week's episode with Rana, (sighs) who spoke so incredibly beautifully rawly (laughs) (laughs) about her experience in having micro preemie twins. And there's been so many mothers of either twins or mothers of bubs that had to spend time in the NICU or special care nursery saying, thank you for finally speaking um, about, you know, a fourth trimester that they could relate to. Yeah, no, it was beautiful. All right, Soph, so what are your highs and lows? My high. Besides seeing me at the market. Besides seeing you and all our beautiful listeners at the market. Another high was that my dad came up to visit on the weekend, which was really lovely to see him and spend quality time with him and the kids. And yes, and we did get him to do a sneaky podcast that will be coming soon. Coming soon to your hot little ears. Low of the week. I'm struggling to think of one, and that's not me being silly. I she even scrolled her phone to I, see. I went, I went back through my pictures on my phone to see what I'd actually been up to this week, and I couldn't really come across any lows. I've had quite a good week. Like I wouldn't say the week's been spectacular, but it hasn't been bad. And my love affair with Meryl Sweep continues. If you don't know, what I'm talking about listen to last week's episode. And yeah, we're all good. We're In good. That's yeah. good. Love this episode. This was a ripper. This was a ripper. Brad, you're a legend. You are a legend. I thought, like, this is a topic that could be quite stiff. And boring. And boring. Oh, Brad, you're a legend. But before we get there, Brad, mum hack, lowbrow mum hack of this week is not sure if this qualifies for mum hack. It's really just another lie to tell your kid. That's basically what <laughs> mum hacks is. 
I used to really struggle to get my toddler out of the bath. So one day I pulled the plug out and let the water suck her toys and cloth into the drain and said she'd get sucked in if she didn't get out too. Now she's terrified of drains, but I can get her out of the bath with a quick pull of the plug and bedtime is (laughs) saved. Have you ever told your kids a lie to scare them to get them to do something you want? Yeah, and it's backfired and I have done the plug thing and it took Billy like a year to get back into the bath and I couldn't work out why, but it was because of that. So maybe do it or don't do it, but it was pretty good. Rude or fabulous. I was at my in-laws on the weekend with our newborn and our toddler. We mentioned we would have a bigger gap with our next kid. My father-in-law responds, nah, nah, crush your balls in a vice and be done with it. (laughs) Yeah, it's fabulous. Does that mean don't have any more or get it over and done with now? No. Uh, crush them in a vice. Yeah. That's yeah. so funny. Good on you, father in law. We often have rude or fabulouses of old people telling you what to do with your genitalia. <laughs> yeah. So that is just absolutely normal. Anyway, let's crack on to this episode. Yeah, so we spoke to Brad and he is a child psychologist from the Unplugged Psychologist team. So they specialise in screen time, device time, screen addictions, all that kind of thing for kids. And you guys sent in so, so many questions about screen time and we got him to answer them. And we hope this episode is informative. It is in no way meant to guilt anyone for using screens at all, but just to give people a little bit more knowledge around kind of what is a like a happy limit, I guess, in terms of screen time. And you left feeling lighter. I did. And how did you leave feeling? Fantastic. Fabulous. We Let's hope crack you on. enjoy. Hello, Brad. Thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the Bump today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you are chatting about with us? Yeah. So my name's Brad Marshall. I'm a child psychologist. And I work in the area with children and teenagers in the area of internet screens and gaming addiction. Um, How interesting. Some people call it addiction. Some people don't like using that term, but anyway, I'll use that for now. So uh, I worked as a stock standard child psychologist for many years. And then about 10 years ago, I opened the internet addiction clinic at Kidspace. And since then, it's just been my whole world, you know, where I've I've, uh, wrote a parenting book, The Tech Diet for Your Child and Teen, and I've even delved into the research world, which I swore I would never do, but now I am. So I'm, <laughs> I'm doing PhD research at Macquarie University as well. So, but I mainly like seeing families and helping families rather than the boring research stuff. Amazing. And you have kids yourself. How old are they? Yep. So we've got one and a half little boy and a four and a half going on 16 little girl. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, they're they're wonderful, but at times a little bit sassy. And I, I suppose that probably comes from me and my stubbornness, unfortunately. First things first, Brad, does screen time really matter or are we all stressing and guilting ourselves for no reason? So we should probably make the distinction between uh, what I'm talking about to do with children and teenagers versus adults. So I, I don't see adults in my clinic. And one of the reasons is, you know, and I, I wrote this in my book, If you're an adult, um, because I get plenty of hate mail from gamers and all the rest of it that are adults that sort of tell me that I'm the worst thing in the world. (laughs) If you're an adult and you want to live your life online and gaming, then all power to you. Go for it. Mm -hmm. I've got no qualms with that. That's your life choice as an adult. I'm talking about kids. And I guess the most recent research, and again, I'm I'm not going to try and bore you guys too much, but 
you know, in the last 10 years, we had research that suggested there were issues. And certainly in my clinic, I've seen well over a thousand kids. My wait list is between four and six months. I can't even see any more people on my wait list. So that would suggest to you that there is an issue or a concern for parents. Otherwise, I wouldn't have a clinic. Mm -hmm. And then the research goes further than that now. So there's a recent study from the United States where essentially they took 10,000 kids and over four years, they studied functional MRIs, the brain pictures and stuff. And that stuff's pretty important because it means that, you know, it's very difficult to argue the outcomes of a functional MRI study. And what we know is that when you go over certain amounts of time per day for kids, it does get really shaky as far as the neurological effects. So at the most extreme end, if you've got a child who does over seven hours a day of screens, we can actually measure the brain cortex thinning in their brain prematurely, which is not a great thing. So what effect would that have or what other effects can screen time have on kids? So what effect that actually has, we don't know because we've never been here before. And that's the problem is that what effect the brain cortex thinning can have or could it just, you know, miraculously turn around and recover in 10 years? I don't know. But to me as a parent, that's pretty scary. I think what the other effects are though, if you go to the lower levels, if you will, and not the, the super scary neurological stuff, The main impacts that we see on kids are the impacts on development. And I go through this in my my book, and it's very much a book geared towards parents. And a lot of my work is. So what we're talking about is if screens are impacting their behavioral development, their social development, emotional education or health, and health basically meaning sleep and exercise and things like that. If screens, gaming or any of that stuff is impacting those areas, then I would suggest to you that's not ideal. So it's not necessarily like a cookie cutter, like for this age, you can get away with watching this much. It's more child dependent and how that's affecting each child. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where we can say, you know, three hours is fantastic and four hours is going to rot your child's brain. I don't think it's ever going to be that clear. I'll turn it off at 3.59, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) Please just tell me. (laughs) Um, But certainly, you know, it's different for every child. And, 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 you know, I go through examples of this quite often where you can have one child who's, I don't know, for example, a primary school age kid who might play uh, an hour or two a day of something or watch something on YouTube. And that doesn't impact their behavior at all. It doesn't impact their homework getting done. It doesn't, doesn't impact their sleep. They still go to sport and, and everything's fine, right? And that to me is recreational use. That's great. No problem. Conversely, if you have a child that's playing an hour or two a day and then you take it off them and it is a full-blown meltdown and there are holes in the wall and police are being called, which Again, yeah. people accuse me of being an alarmist in this, but it's at least once a week that I have a kid in the in the clinic with an ABO against them. And I'm not talking wow. to old kids like primary school age kids too, right? Wow. Um, yeah, okay. And it can also impact on school refusal. So that's basically a fancy term for kids just refusing to go to school because they would rather be at home online. So it's those areas rather than a, a, a you know rudimentary number of hours per day that are, are, are really should be considered by parents. A lot of our listeners have, I guess, younger kids, like, for example, toddler age or even babies. Like, where would you start at saying when can TV start to be introduced and what would be safe-ish levels for those younger kids where things like school refusal might not be as clear, like the behaviour might not be as clear? Yeah, so let's talk under twos. 
So, you know, for my little fella, the recommendations from, you know, the American Pediatric Association and many other sort of formal associations would be that it's either zero or one hour, depending on their age per day of screen time. And again, where parents quite often get tripped up is they think that means one hour of gaming or one hour of YouTube or one, it's just one hour of screens, right? Right. Now, my hand up, I'm not perfect. Just two weeks ago, I think I was telling you guys before we started um, live on air that, you know, I had illness in my house. My lovely daughter brought home a cold and my little fellow was sick and, and with an ear infection. So he, he had more than that, absolutely, for probably a week straight, right? But it's not what I'm aiming for. So I think what I say to parents is there is an ideal world number of what you should be aiming for for kids under two. And then there is, you know, reality hits sometimes, whether it's a parent that's sleep deprived or a parent that's away or you're sick yourself. Sometimes things just don't go to plan and that's, that's okay. As long as that's the exception and not the rule, then you'll be fine. Right? Mm. And I think then when you go from two to five, um, it does jump up to about two hours a day. And again, hands up, there are times where my, I, I did a post online oh, a couple of months ago. My daughter got grommets after just recurring ear infections over and over and over. Mm. Um, she had like eight or nine hours of screens that day. And the reason that she did was because we were at the hospital and she was fasting. And there was nothing else to do, right? So, you know, even myself at times like that, or if we're traveling up the coast and you've got an eight-hour car trip, I'm not expecting parents to be perfect in that realm. We're not playing I Spy for no, five hours straight with, with a, someone with that doesn't understand what letters are. <laughs> Actually, my daughter, my daughter does I Spy. She says, I spy with my little eye something that is brown and sticky. Yeah, that's what my is, my girls a, still do. Is it a stick? Yes, is it a you poo? got it. So, yeah. oh, I thought it was a poo. No, I went no, straight to the I'm like, is that her way of saying she's had an accident <laughs> no, in the car? No. <laughs> stick, oh, that's yeah. so cute. But I guess what I would say about that age is I'll give you another example that does get me, and I'm pretty on the record with this, a- an example of screen time impacting a child's social development when they're between two and five, so those preschoolers, would be stuff like going out to dinner and I know there's many families that are dead keen on having their kids use screens so they can talk as adults and all the rest of it. And again, if that's the way you want to parent, that's cool by me. My personal and professional preference is that's a time when they actually should be learning some social development. Mm. They should be learning how to be as patient as they can. And it's, it's not easy. Don't get me wrong. It would be far easier if I walked into the pub for a Sunday evening dinner and gave my kids screens. It would be but they're missing out on a lot of social development and behavioural development that is crucial. So it's examples like that. And then also we were recently at an amusement park and I saw a two or a three-year-old with an iPhone in a pram at, at SeaWorld in Brisbane. And I, I just, again, I, I'm, I'm not trying to, don't want to make out like I'm the fun police walking around confronting people or anything. I let them do their thing. But to me, if you need an iPhone or YouTube in the middle of SeaWorld, like there's something wrong there, isn't there? Yeah. So I guess that's kind of my take on on how screens can impact the younger kids like that. I have a six-year-old and I have a two-year-old and I have a seven-year-old and I find that when there's a certain amount of time that my six-year-old watches a screen, she finds it extremely hard to detach and then come back into the real world. She has a meltdown. It's like she has just overstimulated her brain with whatever she's been watching and it's very hard for her to just 
I guess, compartmentalize and come back to a normal, whatever we're doing, a normal situation. And the other two seem fine when they're watching screens, Mm. but it is really her in particular that struggles to come back to normal. So do you, like knowing that, do you find that there are certain children that have coping mechanisms and can only deal with certain amount of screen time? Yeah, I mean, so I find that in clinic, but it's also pretty embedded in research. So there are are things that we know now, and again, only in the last couple of years, we know that are risk factors. And so, you know, there are things like kids that have ADHD or attention and concentration problems are more prone, you know, to to developing problems with screens, Um, as well as kids that have issues with processing speed, which is sort of a, a function of your IQ. It can be a strength or a weakness in your IQ. And there are many different reasons there as to why. But coming back to the example of of your daughter, I guess what we know is that there is about 10% of kids that are going to struggle with this in Australia. There are higher rates overseas. So for example, in Singapore, it's about 30%. But it's about 10% of Australian kids that struggle, not that have a disorder per se, but that struggle. And if you think about it, you know, there's some four or five million kids in Australia. So that's a lot of kids that are going to struggle with this. But my point being, 80 or 90% of kids are going to have no issue with managing this stuff. And that's often what I find is families come in and they've got three or four kids and and it's usually just one, Mm. right? Because if you play the statistics there, you play the odds. And that can be really difficult for families, especially when it's like number three or number four. Yeah. Because parents kind of say, well, hang on, I've got all these strategies for screens that work for number one and two and I kind of, something wrong with this one, right? And it's, well, maybe the strategy you're using, we just have to change a little bit for that last one because they're a bit more prone. But what we also do know is that, and, and this is becoming more clear, is that when a child comes off screens, it does take them a little while. And I don't know exactly how long. We haven't done the research to pin this down, but I'm suspecting somewhere between 10 and 20 minutes to move from the back part of their brain, which is a Mm. fight or flight part of the brain, to the prefrontal cortex, the amygdala, the front part, okay? And the front part is the part that is responsible for calming yourself down and impulses Mm. and emotions, right? So essentially what we're saying there is, there's going to be this period where you've got to, some people have a bit of a ticking time bomb walking around for that 10 or 20 minutes after you take the screens. So quite often for parents, you've got to be careful what you're asking them to do. Like if you take them off the screen and say, go and do your maths homework, you're probably going to get a, an explosion, yeah, yeah. right? So you've just got to just got to be a little bit careful after they've had a bit of a stint like that on the screens. For younger kids, getting them, like, do you, do you have any strategies for almost preparing them for when you are going to, say, turn a show off or take a tablet away from them? Is there anything you can do kind of to get them ready to make that transition easier? Yeah, so the, the first thing that I've found in my treatment clinic is that, and again, obviously I'm seeing kids that are, are, are down the pointy in that 10%, yeah. but it, it holds true for, for all kids. So the first thing that I would say is that, what can be really tricky for parents is that quite often they get told by experts in this area that they should just take, just parent, just take the device. Stop complaining, just take the device. It's easy. Be a parent. And I find that's the most unhelpful advice any parent can get because that expert is talking about the 80 or 90%, right? Mm. They're not talking about the other ones. So taking a device can turn into quite a, an argument and a conflict. And it's a strategy that typically works up until a certain point. 
So it probably works up until five, six, seven, eight, depending on the child. When they get older, and I think Jade's right on the cusp of this. Here you go, Jade. So you've got a seven-year-old, right? <laughs> I'm listening. Yeah. There will be a point where they're going to push back on that if they haven't yeah. already. And that would look like either refusing to hand it over or arguing with you or having a meltdown or just, you know, being a bit cheeky about finding devices and, and getting up when you're not up and things like that. So I guess what I go into is more about managing the Wi-Fi because at the end of the day, 90% of the time, those devices are pretty useless without the Wi-Fi. There's not much that they do online and that's backed in science as well because when they're online, they're using the Wi-Fi and that's what's increasing the dopamine in their brain, right? And this is effectively why this, what one of the reasons why it wasn't an issue for me, like back in the 80s and 90s gaming, right? We had no Wi-Fi. It was just you playing the computer. The TV wasn't YouTube connected. There was no social media. It was just offline screens. It was no internet. So for parents, managing the Wi-Fi is a really key area there because it can help you turn it off and give them a warning, of course, but you turn it off and you wait for them to, to settle down a little bit and then you go in 10 or 20 minutes later. Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, it totally does. I'm just like processing it. <laughs> it's like, so I'm like, looking okay. shocked right now. I don't know. No, because no, no, <laughs> I guess one thing I've wondered is, and I guess it relates to Wi-Fi. So my eldest is three years old and we had a lot of people sending this in. Are there things that are like, not worse, but I guess more challenging or something for them to watch than others. So for example, with my three-year-old, I find her watching YouTube just starts down this like absolute cascade where, you know, it's really hard to stop in between shows or she'll click on to another one. Like there's just, there's, there's zero concentration. There's yeah. like, whereas I find, I mean, I guess Netflix is still online, but I guess you can like choose what it is and it's very like obvious where it starts and stops and she can't control that. Is there, yeah, is one better than the other? So what you're referring to is that there's a lot of tricks that the tech companies use to suck us in. Yeah. And, you know, I get Not this yet, as well. It got me, it got on, me good. <laughs> yeah, I, I get this as well on Netflix. And anyone at home that wants to know more about that, then you can watch things like The Social Dilemma, that, that sort of documentary that kind of sums up this stuff pretty well. So th there's very targeted tricks that the tech companies use. And, you know, they would claim that they're not using them to trick kids. I'm not very convinced by that. Uh, and, and let me explain just how targeted it is. So I was speaking just a few weeks ago with, a colleague who's a child psychiatrist and also um, his name is Dr. Kim Lee and he is a sort of famous child psychiatrist in this area. We both have treatment clinics. He was explaining to parents that you should turn off on YouTube and Netflix the autoplay. It's just a simple thing you can do oh. where it doesn't trigger new videos back to back, right? And he said to me that something interesting happened. He was explaining that in his clinic so often that he then went to show a parent, which he does on his phone, where to find it, and it had disappeared. <gasps> yeah, creepy. Just on his phone? Uh-huh. So, you know, Big Brother is watching with this stuff, right? They are completely aware of the tricks what you're that, doing, that they yeah. use to get people to keep watching. So I guess then what I would say when answering about your three-year-old, Sophie, is, you know, these tricks, even we as adults struggle to mm. find the balance here. And it's just an unfair fight on a three-year-old or a seven-year-old or a 12-year-old, right? 
And so we do have to step in there and try and help them with that because they're not going to be able to do that themselves. We can't even do that as adults. So when it comes to the content, there are certain apps, you know, YouTube, Netflix and whatnot that are better at those tricks than others. (laughs) But I guess what it comes down to then is putting a time limit on it and being able to time it out at a certain time in the, in the hierarchy of what is sort of, you know, more addictive, if you want to use that term, online gaming combines social media and gaming and all these things. So kids, when they start doing that, whether it be Roblox or Minecraft or whatever it may be, that is in my experience, one of the more trickier things to get kids off. Then you go down to like social media and then there's streaming services. And then you've got like offline gaming and old school TV, right? So if you were wanting them to have something but didn't want them to go down that rabbit hole, what I typically use for my kids is we'll have ABC Kids or whatever it Mm. may be, right? We'll chuck on an episode or two of Bluey, even though they automatically cue them as well. But I go for the There's a bit more of a pause. Yeah, and, and (laughs) and I go for the lower end there, right? So when you have them on a tablet or something like that where you physically got to take it at the end, it gets a bit, it's even more confrontational. And I found that YouTube was very detrimental, especially for the six-year-old, because it it was pretty much just trash and that's all she was watching. So we just said all together, and we are lucky at this age because they still do listen to us somewhat, that we don't do YouTube anymore. That's it. There is no way we can watch YouTube. So they haven't had it for almost a year. And um, they do, they can have ABC kids and they can have certain things. My other flip side is that the other two children don't want to watch screen. So half the time when I'm like, can you just sit down for four seconds and watch something so I can clean something? They're like, no, no. I also find one of the things that's hard with YouTube is that you pick a certain show, but the show that comes on may have like a slight connection to what you've chosen, but the content is actually so different. I feel like the control over what your child is watching is so minimal too. Yeah, I mean, there, well, you there can are obviously have the cyber safety concerns as well. And I mean, these two areas like overuse, which is sort of my world or problematic use and cyber safety, there's an overlap in them. Mm. If you limit the amount of use, then by very nature, you're limiting, you know, the, the cyber safety concerns. But absolutely, I mean, young children on, on YouTube, even with the parental restrictions, they're, they're definitely not a foolproof Oh, Poppy has been so scared even by some of the ads that come up. Like, and it's a kid-related ad, but it might be this really scary dinosaur. And I've put on some other show that's very mild, and uh, you've you've tried to scare the shit out of her by putting. So she never goes on again. (laughs) With young kids, is it better to hold off for as long as possible, or is it better to introduce it relatively early, but with boundaries and limits? Yeah, I mean, so. The guidelines before, obviously, you want to hold off until they're sort of one or two, if possible. After that, it's not about holding off, you know, for as long as you possibly can. So they're the only child that has never used technology. (laughs) And in fact, with my little girl going to kindergarten next year, I had to sit in the, uh, you know, the orientation where the principal brags about how many screens are in the in the kindergarten classes and how many iPads and all the rest of it. And my wife just looked at me and I knew the look meant do not do it do not do it. You are not going to ask a question. So I had to really bite my tongue because I'm there as a dad, not as, Mm. um, you know, screen expert. But still, what's your thoughts on that with screens being so intertwined with education nowadays? So 
you know, I, I know a thing or two about this because I come from a family of teachers. So my brother's a primary school teacher, borderline kid still himself. But anyway, um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, my take on it is screens are wonderful. And in general, screens are wonderful if you mm. use the right way, right? There's no issue with them as long as they're used the right way. And so if a teacher in primary school is using it sparingly to, you know, augment a lesson, then that's great. The issue that I have is when they start using it to rely on it, that all their writing's done on there, that their yeah. homework is set on there, so then parents get the homework come home and it has to be online. It's literally setting parents up for, for an argument at home, right? Mm. Because you come home and you've got to go on athletics and your child's on there and they're you know, doing the athletics and then you walk in from cooking dinner and all of a sudden they're on Roblox or they're on YouTube. It, it's, it, you know, the, the analogy that I typically use is it's like saying to your child, I want you to eat that apple, but I'm going to stick this box of chocolate next to you and don't eat that, right? It's all dopamine. It's the same chemical. So giving them a device and telling them to do healthy things on there and just assuming that they're not going to get sucked into that chocolate bar is it, it's, it's just unrealistic. Oh, it's mm. like doing housework and your phone's next to you and you're like, don't check Instagram, don't check, keep <laughs> folding the washing. And you're like, fuck, I'm checking Instagram again. <laughs> so, so it's I, impossible. I'll tell you, I, 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 you know, I don't go down the full-blown, you know, these. there's a reason all these tech CEOs don't let their kids have phones, full stop, right? They're, they're quite scared of all of that. I need my phone for many reasons. I have an online presence to reach parents, Right. But I do tell you, like I tell most people, the social media that I have set for myself on my phone is 20 minutes a day. And I broke that on many occasions to the point of where I said to my wife, you need to put the password in. You need to put the, the passcode in. So I, I literally, I was, at, um, I was doing a TV interview recently on the Today Show and Richard Wilkins was like, oh, so let me have a look at X, Y, and Z. And how do you do this? You know, the, the guy on Channel 9. And I literally had to pull out my phone and be like, oh, I'm, I'm timed out. Like, I don't have, and he's like, oh, how, how do you get around that? I'm like, oh, my, wife, my wife's got the passcode. And they both laughed at me, thought I was joking. <laughs> I, so she has the passcode. I do not do more than 20 minutes. Um, oh, so it's just the reality is even though I research this stuff, I see it day in, day out, I know that I'm not going to be able yeah. to get around the tricks that they set. I know we're sort of shifting a little bit and we will get back to kids, but it is interesting because Sophie and I, a lot of our job is on social media and it's very hard to detach our hours on being on your phone yeah. and having that time limit because there are certain parts of the day that we need to be on it to be posting certain things and then there are times where, you know, you, you just want to just do that random brain-numbing scroll. But we sort of don't have the luxury or the choice to have that that buffer. My husband says it all the time, oh, I'm going to just put like 30 minutes on and that's all I'm going to do today. And I said, I'd love to do that, but I can't do that. But I really, really but want you to. you could, but it, the limit would just have to be higher. I think we could. I think we just don't want to. No, I actually, I'm not a huge fan. Like it actually does my head in sometimes. So I, I like to put it away. But I think that when I forget to do things, knowing that that buffer zones not there I'd be like oh god I don't know I don't know I, I think that you'll find that it makes you more meaningful with the time that you mm. spend yeah on social yeah well media. that's good because if I know I've only got 20 minutes and it's, it's constructive crazy, right? yeah <laughs> like I'm like I'm gonna get in see what I need to see I'll check this group I'll talk to my mate I'll post this and and then I, I kind of get out 
I don't yeah, get you'd I, unfollow a lot of people. You'd be like, I don't want you sucking up my minutes there. Like, go away, get off my screen. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you two would need more than 20 minutes. And I do have the luxury of some of my staff do a lot of my social media stuff. I'm just talking about my personal stuff there. But uh, yeah, you would need more than 20 minutes. But I think if you did set a limit and trial it for a week, I don't know, it might be an interesting experiment. I'll put my hand up. I definitely spend more time than what's needed for work and I would love to cut it down. And I definitely, if we want to call it addiction or not, like I definitely Look at her, she's I got her hand up. I've got my hand up. I am an addict. <laughs> I am an addict. <laughs> so surely there are some positives considering our kids will be in such a technical Technological, <laughs> technological world when they are older. Is there any negatives to withholding screens altogether? Yeah, I mean, well, just let's just touch on the positives if I if I can, because sure. quite often I get sort of accused of being this, you know, one sided um, person. Monster. Absolutely acknowledging there are positives to this, and there is research to back that up as well. Legitimate research, where you know, many kids, if you take the primary school scenario here. If kids have zero screens, then quite often they feel socially isolated in that, you know, every child in the room is talking about, you know, whatever it is, the latest thing on YouTube or the latest thing on gaming, and they they can't communicate that. So social inclusion and mastery and a whole bunch of other things have been proven to be, um, you know, related to screen time. But there's always a but. There is a small window there where if you go too too much screen time, then the negative stuff comes in. And so what people and, and sort of social media and tech companies and gaming giants and all the rest won't have you believe is that, that they just point to all the positive research and they don't point to the, yes, but if you go over you know, mm. a certain period, then it just, you, you know, the, the impacts on a child can, you know, can mount up. So, yeah, there are negatives to withholding. And if you think about different age groups, if they're not able to talk to their friends, then it makes it more difficult for them to socialise and do things. But at the same time, you don't want to sort of have an open house on them doing, you know, three hours of that thing every day as well. I think it can be really difficult for parents because so many times I hear from them that, you know, their kids are saying, this is what all my friends are doing. They don't want to go to the beach. They don't want to go to the skate park. They don't want to go to the park and kick a footy or whatever it is. They just want to be online. Some kids say that just to get what they want but other kids it is it is legitimate like if you if you actually look at their you know their friendship group of five or ten kids most of them if those parents are not worried about screen use and just say oh i'm going to give them whatever they want it can be really difficult for a child then to pick up something else i think it's so crazy that you can see a one or two year old swipe open an iphone and click on an app and yep. know how to scroll. Isn't that insane? Mm. Like that they just know how to do that. Yeah, I yeah. I I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of toggle between being shocked by this stuff and then also accepting that it is the new world and, and I've got yeah. to stop being a dinosaur. But I certainly and that's why I said like I, I think our role is to help the kids and our kids not go into the the realms of negative impacts. And then, you know, so many parents often then say, oh, well, then how are they ever going to learn um, how to do this, you know, when they're 18 or when they're 16 or whatever, and they've got to manage this stuff themselves. But that argument to me is just a bit redundant because... That's I all mean, of parenting, Yeah, isn't it? it is. Isn't like, it? It's they're like, going to pick what like, they eat. Right, they're going to so pick when you, they go to bed. Are you saying you're going to give like, your eight-year-old like a box of chocolate and like a whole bunch of alcohol and then give them the car keys and just go like, oh, no, we'll sort it out. You're going to have to figure <laughs> it out. One day you have to learn how yeah, to Yeah, one day you've got to figure it out. Yeah. So I might as well start now. So... 
I don't know, but I, I get where parents are coming from with that, but it, it doesn't really hold true. Oh, it's such a complex area. I'm so torn both ways because I feel like my one and a half year old kind of picks up a phone and if she knew the passcode would kind of know what to do with it, but she has quite minimal screen time, but I guess it's what they see everyone mm. else doing. Yeah, and, and sees parents doing as well, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, there is that idea of sort of kids will model what we're doing and if we're on our phones too much, then they're going to struggle with it. Same thing at like the, the dinner time example that I gave you, you know, if I'm expecting my daughter and my son to not be on screens and to colour or whatever I'm trying to get them to do or my son's usually throwing a dinosaur on my head or something, but anyway, <laughs> then I certainly won't be on, on my yeah. phone, right? And so... I actually got an Apple Watch. It's making me sound like I'm sponsored by Apple. I'm definitely not. I got an sure. Apple Watch. Someone so I can, can leave, Yeah, leave my um, my phone in the car. So if I'm at dinner like that, I can be called or or texted yeah. old school, right? But I leave my phone in the car, so I'm, there's not even a temptation for me to jump on it. And I found that helps yeah. for me to be a bit more. How are you going to take a picture of your meal though, yeah, Brad? I just don't. <laughs> you know what? I'm strangely I'm okay kidding. With that. I'm kidding. <laughs> Now, there was a question that came in, but you sort of briefly answered this one at the start. Is there any detriment in a short period of lots of screen time, like when you're sick or pregnant? And you did mention that, you know, there are always going to be times where there's going to be more screen time than at a usual day, which seems to be fine. Yeah. And let's just, so we should probably put some context around this because I think for parents, one of the challenges is that when they're talking to other parents, there is this sense of other parents playing up that they're sort of perfect at this. So, so many parents will feel guilty about giving their kids screens because, oh, I've spoken to my friend and my friend at, you know, sport or the other mums on the sideline or the other dads at footy, and they say that their kids don't have any screen time. And that's probably not true because <laughs> when we look at the statistics, Gonski did a recent report, as did... Um, there was a child health poll that uh, Melbourne Kids you know, uh, Children's Hospital do every year as well. So national surveys by credible people, you know, depending on which stats you look at which year, if you just take primary school age kids, 67% of them have a tablet that is theirs. They mm. own something, okay? And they're looking at something between four and five hours of screen time a day. Now, your average Australian child in that, in that age group, four to five hours, so... You know, this idea that everyone is just saying that their kids don't have screen time or they only have half an hour, they only have an hour. It's like well, we couldn't yeah, all where be doing are these that, people? right? Like, where yeah. are these and people? I also want to say that there are parents out there that have said that they don't have a television, they removed it from their house, yet I have been in these people's houses and they have laptops and iPads. Right. So, yes, you can say <laughs> that you don't have a TV on the wall, yep. but you still have technology. And, I mean, nowadays because most TVs are smart TVs, it is a glorified computer it on is. your wall. Yeah, <laughs> YouTube, YouTube, right. And, and that's the same yeah. thing when we're talking about, like, parents will say, oh, I, I bear my kids from gaming or I bear my kids from YouTube. But the issue is that that doesn't really help in this area because we're talking about total screen time. So the classic one is, you know, some parent at school saying to you, my child does not game. I will not let them game. Now, first of all, that's a strategy you might be able to keep in place when they're six, seven, eight. Good luck doing that when they're 12 or 15, right? But I guess the second part is then 
are they just watching YouTube of gameplay, which is other people playing games, right? Which I know is which I still crazy. don't get. I yeah. don't understand it, but do you do you? Yeah, but <laughs> if we're thinking about the total amount of screen time, then there's nothing. The research says there's nothing really better about that than mm. playing the game itself. So. I guess then you get these convoluted conversations where parents are kind of feeling guilty that another parent has done X, Y, and Z and we should be doing more when in reality it may not be healthier, the balance that they've got anyway. So, you know, ultimately that's why I talk about screen time as a total sort of number. And again, the amount of time that is actually happening in Australian households is a lot higher than people would now. I'm not advocating that that's a good thing. I'm just saying that if parents are being realistic about what other people do and there are going to be times where you're sick or you're unwell or something hits the fan and you just, we have to work or whatever it may be. And, you know, we shouldn't all feel like we have to be perfect. Yeah, or a pandemic. (laughs) The one thing I don't like about screens though is the fact that it's like an easy way out of doing things and being creative because you know my husband and I say to our children like if we say all right put the iPad away they're like I'm bored there's nothing to do and we're like well back in our day like we're literally still in our 30s and no we're in our 30s we would say we'd climb a tree or we'd go outside and create games and do all this fun stuff, use our imagination. But it's like as soon as they close the iPad, they're like, this there is, is the nothing shittest, in the world to do. Yeah, there now. is. This yeah. is the shittest world. Like there's <laughs> nothing to do, but there is. They just can't think of it because they are too busy on an iPad. So, yeah, but I mean, Jade, it's like you saying for a whole bunch of nights that they're allowed to eat chocolate for dessert or whatever, and then saying mm. to them, you can have strawberries, right? So no, there's true. just not as much dopamine going to the brain, climbing a tree as there is, you know, when you're, uh, Unless when I you're on a screen. Some from the tree. Some chocolate, Brad. some screens. Both, all, whatever gets them out into nature. Getting creative. Getting creative. Yeah. I, I think that I really like your comment about, you know, your kids saying I'm bored because so many parents say to me, oh, then they complain about being bored. And I say, okay, and what's wrong with that? Mm, Like boredom never killed a kid, right? Well said. So I want kids to be bored. I want my children to be bored at dinner at the pub when they're there. Why? Because I'm teaching them the emotional awareness that they have to wait for their food, right? And they have to actually do other things. They have to draw or they have to talk heaven forbid, right? And perhaps it's not up to us as parents to freak out because whenever I hear that, I start freaking out going, quick, I've got to stop them from being bored. Right. But it's up to them, right? Imagination. It's what you were talking about, right? I mean, creativity and imagination comes from boredom. So why are we all trying to avoid our kids being bored? I don't, I don't understand when we turn this corner into we have to solve boredom for our kids, especially for older kids if they're bored if they're bored long enough, and I, I quite often say to kids in my <laughs> clinic, right, so, oh, it was really boring. Oh, okay, so what did you do? Oh, nothing. Oh, just stared at the wall and watch the paint dry? No, right? So I don't care. They, they'll stare at a wall for long enough before they finally realise they better get on and do something else. And they'll yeah. They will. In terms of when kids are using screens, is it more beneficial for them, you know, with gaming, you're kind of maybe a bit more active in what you're doing, whereas if you're watching a show, it's very passive. Is there one that's kind of better than the other or is it all just screen time and it doesn't really matter? So there are people that will argue that there are healthier options of screen time. Um, but mm-hmm. Really what they're talking about there is more educational things, right? So like Mathletics versus YouTube. 
Okay. Yeah. And I, I don't argue that there are healthier things to do online. I think the issue that we have is that parents quite often, when you buy into that analogy or that pathway, you can use that again for when you have younger kids, but the issue is that it turns. So whether you have a child at six or eight or 12, that is then willing to switch from that educational tool or that better tool to something else that is not so education. And that is a normal thing for a kid to do, right? Bend the rules. Like mm. you're leaving me here with this and yeah, math is not that much fun. So I'm going to switch <laughs> over to this. So at some point that sets up a family for a lot of stress because then the parents start getting really angry at the child. Oh my God, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be doing that. So yeah, there are healthier things, but it can be really difficult for parents to kind of hover over and make sure they're always doing that. And mind you, I'll also say schools struggle with this no end, right? Like I, I have spoken to many schools, even in the last year or two, they can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars getting these fancy firewall systems mm. and IT systems in their yeah, school. I've about and the kids that. laugh about it. I mean, they come in and be like, oh, I was gaming today. Well, how'd you do that? <laughs> oh, it took like 30 minutes. Some kid who's a genius, you know, told us all how to get around it. Like, so, you know, we, we have this false sense of security that these parental software and all the rest of it can solve all this for us. Like, these kids have literally had this technology since they were basically born if we think that we can outsmart them on it like you're kidding yourself it's hilarious isn't it but we all buy into it and we try to do it we tick that little box on the modem or or wherever it is that says you know parental software this and we go i've done my job i'm a good parent right it's it's yeah it doesn't work and do you have any educational games that you would recommend yeah i mean it depends on the child and i think there are plenty of things and even if you just take something like minecraft so many parents, you know, talk about, oh, Minecraft is like a sandbox game. Sorry, that's the technical term for a game where it's more creative in a creative world. You know, it's basically just math. You're building. It's kind of like it's- Sims, right? Yeah, oh, a little bit God, like- Sophie. <laughs> I'm a re- I was a real Sims fan back in the day, but I don't really understand what are we talking about, Sophie, are we talking is. Sim City or are you? No, Sims. See, I was a Sim City guy. The real Sims. The real Sims. Okay. Yeah. Excuse so, me. Thank you. Jade, do you I love play Mario Minecraft? Kart. Nope, okay. no one games. The only thing that they love and they do it at school is reading eggs. Yeah. So th- because yeah, there's games like, on there. Things like reading eggs and all the rest of it are more educational. Uh, my daughter, you know, uses reading eggs. And stuff like Minecraft, it is more creative. And so you'll be building something. You'll be building a house or you'll be building a, you know, a, a moat or whatever it may be. So, you know, as parents, we go, oh, it's educational. It's architecture. They're going to be architects. You know, it's great. <laughs> And there's an element of truth to that. But the problem is that, of course, that game has another platform where you can play with other people and then you're kind of having sword fights and you're in this world of 100 people and then it opens you up to all these cyber safety issues as well as the fact that it's then really just a game and it's not really educational. And then, you know, you go down this rabbit hole. So, again, we, we have to keep in mind with a healthy dose of cynicism, games and all of these platforms their main goal is not to educate the children of the world. Their main goal mm. is to make money. So we shouldn't be surprised if there are then pathways for them to play a game further, play a game more and purchase 
things. I think they all need to just appreciate what we went through. Remember it would take like five minutes to like press your computer on, then you'd have four floppy disks to like (laughs) upload a a game and then it would turn to a CD-ROM and I, if you're going to ask me what I played when I was little, it was Theme Park Hospital, ironic (laughs) because I'm not a doctor and you are, but I played Theme Park Hospital and you created your own hospital and if you didn't get the patients like in the right rooms and have the right equipment, equipment they'd all die. And yep. I only got up to level two. Well, in the end, I just did Sims and made everyone die anyway. I'd take <laughs> wow. the ladders out of the pool. What a dying I'd, going on here, ladies. Yeah, where's yeah. Sickos? Where a bunch make, of sickos? I'd make them woohoo to death. I'd start I'd start a kitchen fire and then remove all the doors. Yeah, look. I used to play um, Sims theme park, like the actual theme park one where you'd build a theme park and then if you weren't yeah. doing a good job, all the kids would start spewing everywhere in the theme yeah. park. And, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But they're yeah. all offline games, right? And this is the difference is that if you look at the research, online gaming, anything that is online is more social and there's way more dopamine to the brain right. than offline but gaming. but quite unquote social. Well, social meaning <laughs> that you're playing with other people yeah. instead of versus the computer, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's where the increased dopamine comes in and it becomes more addictive, I guess. Right. Now, with little babies, is there any harm in having the TV on around them if they're not necessarily like positioned, like, you know, it might be the news on or sport on or whatever, but they're not really positioned to be watching it, but it's on around them? Do you want the official answer or do you want what I do? Both. Okay. Yeah, give us both. The the strict official answer would be that, you know, especially babies under 12 months shouldn't be exposed to screens. Now, I think that if you just put that in practical terms, what I have gone with is I'm not going to sit one of my kids as a baby, like say a six-month-old or something, you know, in one of those little bounces in front of a TV and stick the TV on for them so I can go and cook dinner, right? But if the TV is on in the background and the bouncer is facing me while I'm cooking dinner, I'm really making it out like I cook a lot. This may be my wife. I'm sure she's going to be like, <laughs> she's going to listen to this. Yeah, she's going to be so angry. But essentially, then, then you know, I think you're on pretty safe ground there. So yeah. we shouldn't be using it as a distraction or an entertainment tool mm-hmm. for a baby. But if it's on around them, you're you're okay. And what if you're a parent and Peppa Pig's on and you're numbingly just watching that and not knowing you're watching it? Should you be concerned? <laughs> well, first of all, if you're watching Peppa, be really rude to her parents, which I'm not a big fan of. <laughs> no, I agree. We are all about Bluey. It's Team yeah. Bluey. Yeah, that's Peppa's right. a little beep. That's yeah, right. no, my daughter turned around to my husband once and said, Daddy, all you do is talk, stop talking. And we were like, Pepper is never going on in our house again. Like, and she does not normally speak like that. We were like, oh, and I, she probably said it in a British accent too. And yeah. I was just like, oh, absolutely not. So, yeah. But Jade, yes, if, if you're watching Peppa Pig with no kids around, then it might be a sign of either, you know, sleep <laughs> deprivation. Or, yeah. yeah. But I've done it myself. I was, I was driving to work the other day and I dropped my daughter off and um, I think she was listening to Moana or something in the car. Yes, and you we were singing like along. Half an hour listening to Moana and I didn't even realise, yeah. Can I just say before my husband and I ever had kids, we were in Hawaii and we got a rental car and the only disc that was in the <laughs> rental car was the Moana soundtrack. So I was doing that long before I had kids, so no judgement here. That is a great soundtrack. All right, Sophie, <laughs> we believe you. Is there a time of the day that it is better for kids to watch screens than others? So depending on the age, uh, I think if you if you just think about some times that are maybe not 
ideal if we go with that. Obviously, right before bed is not a good idea. It's not going to help with melatonin developing in their brain, which is basically the chemical that puts us all to sleep. And so if they're really wired, whether it be on a game or YouTube or whatever it may be, you really would be aiming for sort of the half an hour beforehand, no screens, um, because the, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with this, but the, the blue light in screens can impact that. Now, some parents will say to me, oh yeah, but we've got the blue light blockers and all these sorts of things. But I find clinically that it's not just the blue light. It's also just the the way that they're amped up, mm. um, trying to get them to sleep then. So, you know, half an hour, an hour before bed, probably not a great idea. And then I also find in the mornings that it can be a tricky for a lot of kids in the mornings, especially if you're trying to get them out the door, mm, um, you know, yeah, eating breakfast, getting dressed, getting all the stuff ready. And then they can just get a little bit too wired before bundling them off to school. And I know that's not your problem then because they're at school. But if you're it's thinking, still your kid. <laughs> if you're thinking in general, like, you know, school is a place where whatever age they are, you want them to be developing social friendships. You want them to be practicing their behavior and even, you know, some education in there as well. And all of that stuff is going to be a little bit undermined if they've just spent the last hour on YouTube. Yeah. Agreed. So basically there's no real good time for them to watch anything ever. Or no, if your kids go to school, there's no good time. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I think that if you've got like a primary school age kid um, like you, Jade, if they come home and they need a bit of a break, then you might give them a bit of a break if it's before sport or before homework. And then, of course, what you don't want to happen is for that break to turn into too big and then they don't do their homework. So quite often, um, and again, it depends on the child, right? If you know your child needs a break after school because they're just exhausted, then you're going to have to give them that. But in an ideal world, you want to get into this routine of you do your homework or your sport first, and then you have half an hour, an hour or whatever it may be after that. You know, and then we have dinner, then we do some family stuff or um, watch some family TV and go to bed. I'm reaching that age with my eldest because she's three that she's going to start dropping her day nap. Is it a good idea because that is just a scary, scary time thinking that she's awake all day? Is it fine to replace that nap with, say, quiet time in front of the TV or because of the blue light and the stimulation and everything, is that not really playing a role of quiet time? No, that's fine. I mean, I I think certainly we use that now when my daughter is not at preschool. She'll have some quiet time, which will be reading eggs or a certain show, not Peppa Pig you know, to watch that gives us a break as well. But I guess what I would say is, again, you just want to keep in mind that two hours, right? So if she's having some time in the morning and then some time in the afternoon and then that as well, it's all going to add up. Or you convince yourself she used to nap for four hours. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So just replace that with TV for four four hours. hours (laughs) Is eating in front of the TV bad? Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I haven't done it once or twice when, when the house was on fire in my house. But obviously the aim is usually for me around, and this is a bit old school, around families having, you know, dinner together. And again, it's not because I'm like some hardline person who needs these rules, you know, strictly adhered to and all the rest of it. It's more around trying to build that social development and that behaviour and that emotional awareness so if I'm upset because I'm tired, but I want to leave the table, but I've got to sit here until people finish. Yeah, I really and like that. So it's about building that time and, and keeping it a little bit sacred when we can. But again, I don't want to sit here and pretend like I've, I've done that, you know, 100% of the time. I think for most parents, if you can, if that's something that you value as parents, um, then 
if you can hit it 80 or 90% of the time, then you're doing pretty well. Totally. Yeah. And and it comes back to having, you know, parent guilt as well. I think that if you can majority do the things that make you feel good as a parent, like, oh, it'd be really nice to have dinner at the table, maybe realistically three nights out of the week. And then, yeah, maybe we'll have takeaway and we'll be in front of the TV for another night. Whatever makes you feel comfortable and how you can run your household is the best way to go. And to stop also listening to other people's family ways, because half the time they're not really telling you the truth. Yeah, Brad. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I think certainly I reckon it's probably six nights a week that we're at the dinner table. Even if I'm not home yet, then my wife will be there with the two kids. Yeah. But I think that's more around just how you want to parent and what you value as a parent. If if you don't value that, there's plenty of families that would do six nights out of the week around the TV or around screens. But what I would say again is that it's about setting up that you know, that healthy practice, because you have to think a little bit ahead here. And you've probably heard me reference this a few times, right? What you establish at age three, at age seven, is going to carry on to age 10, age 15. So when you have a 10 or a 15 year old, do you want them sitting at the table with you communicating? And, you know, they're just going to grunt Mm. at you anyway. (laughs) That's the time when you actually, you know, because they're individuating, they're kind of going off and doing their own thing. That's the time when you want to hear from them. Are you struggling with maths or have you had a fight with your friend or anything? But if you're in this routine as a family of just sitting around a a, a TV eating, you might not get any of that. So, yeah, and it's so hard to make those changes it's then so hard at to get 13. It back. So yeah. hard to get it back. So yeah. I'm kind of, I do this stuff based on, you know, looking five or 10 years forward. Yeah. And do you have any tips on setting boundaries for screen time? Yeah. So, I mean, essentially in my book and on my um, video series online, I go through what I do in a clinic with a family, which is seven steps. But one of the main things there is around, as I've already mentioned, managing the Wi-Fi at home and mobile device data as well. And then some of the other steps take parents through how to negotiate a schedule with their kid. It's not a tech contract. In my experience, (laughs) tech contracts do not go down well um, with kids. They get pretty angry about them. So I try to show parents how to do it in a very relaxed way, even just sort of like you know, like we're doing it on a piece of paper or a whiteboard about what a healthy balance would be, but establishing those times ahead of time. And then what it comes down to is the parents just turning the Wi-Fi on and off at certain times. And there are ways to do that as well. There are certain um, modem routers that we're working out that are better at doing that because you can kind of separate certain kids and turn their Wi-Fi on and off. And again, that's not something that most parents with a four or a six or an eight-year-old really need. Mm. And it is what's needed when they're in high school. And so typically, if parents wait until year seven, year eight, the horse is bolted a little bit and it's really hard to get it back. So I encourage parents to do it when they're in primary school so that you you then it's a bit of an insurance policy. It's an easier thing to do and and you don't have to have that battle later. Do you turn your Wi-Fi off at night? Yep, 100%. Hmm. absolutely even though even though my daughter is like the most compliant she would never even like she has literally never I was just saying this to my wife she's almost five she has never gotten out of her bed she will not she has not stepped foot out of her bed in the evening even to go to the bathroom she'll call you to come and help her but did you scare her that's pretty, not scary. She's I'm thinking that I should say that lion. to mine. So my three-year-old there. doesn't get out of bed either yeah, okay. because she's lodged between my husband and I. <laughs> <laughs> but look, 
getting away from for our from our own personal problems. Yes, yes. If the one thing that parents take out of this talk that are listening at home is if if all the other stuff I've talked about is just too difficult or you don't want to do it or you feel like it's overkill, the one thing that they should keep in mind is turning the Wi-Fi off at night. Okay, because when this starts impacting kids' sleep, and that can mean anything from a child staying up late to get on YouTube or, you know, getting up in the middle of the night to take an old iPhone that you had hidden yep. in the back of the, you know, cabinet. My, my sorry to interrupt, yeah. but my nearly eight-year-old does get up at about as soon as it's 5 or 5.30, she will try and sneak into my room and take the iPad so she can watch like, yeah, Bluey or whatever. But yep. it is way too early and I, I agree with you. I think if we turn the Wi-Fi off, then she can't do anything. So she'll hopefully start to go, well, I may as well just lay here yeah and so i i call this families you know getting into guerrilla warfare because that's kind of what it feels like here is that if you hide the ipad then she's like crawling through to find something else and then if you hide that then she's like trying to reconnect the internet so this is why you can see how this even in very very you know stock standard children this escalates very quickly and so you know if you speak to anyone that's got like an older child they'll tell you this quite commonly. And that's why the, the common denominator is the router and the Wi-Fi settings. So even in your case there, Jade, you might even look at installing a certain type of router. And there's one that I've been working not with them as you know I have a financial agreement with them, but just I know works a bit better. It's called the Deco M5, M for Mary 5. And essentially they're a new brand of router that allows you to have you know different devices on different things but it shuts it off as well. And so you could program into your app on your phone that the Wi-Fi in the whole house does not come on until seven o'clock. Wow. And then even if she found that iPad because she snuck in and you were completely out cold, it still wouldn't work, right? Now, there are things that parents at home will be sitting there going, oh yeah, there's plenty of things that have been able to do that for ages. Not really. All of the products that have claimed to be able to do that for the last 10 years are software-based, and I don't want to sort of geek out on you here, but essentially they have loopholes. Please don't. <laughs> yeah, they're really easy to get around. So these routers, the new ones that are coming out, are hardware-based, so they can't get around them. It is so much easier when you just say, oh, we can't turn it on. Like the other day my 18-month-old was holding the remote mm. and then all of a sudden we couldn't find it. And for 24 hours, and it, like it's a smart TV, so there's like no buttons on the side. Like you cannot turn it on or change mm. it without the remote. And for 24 hours, we couldn't find the remote. It was a blissful day because no one could ask for anything because we literally couldn't turn it on. 24 hours later, she toddles back out of the garage <laughs> with it with in her hand, walks out. <laughs> so she turned it off for all of us. But I bet, Jade, I bet Jade's seven-year-old would just figure out that you go to the back of the TV and, and just toggle up they and do. down, right? So, so we... We've lost our remote and we've lost it for about two years and so we turn ours on by the back of right. the TV. Oh, God, time to right. get a new remote. So that's I know. why just managing the whole Wi-Fi and then having the, sleep, having the sleep times completely off, it is the best insurance policy that a family can have. If you've got two or three kids, just take that out of it because if your child starts lacking sleep, that has a knock-on effect for school, for behaviour, for everything. Yep. It is going to make your life hard, right? And there's nothing, well, there's a few things, but like when you hear at five in the morning, a little tiptoe and scuffling and you're like starting to panic thinking it's a rat. No, it's actually just your child trying to get the iPad and the charger and you're like, oh gosh. Yep. 
Well, Brad, thank you so much for answering all our questions. We really appreciate you coming on. I'm taking that away with me and wiping the Wi-Fi while we sleep. What are you taking away, Soph? Um. <laughs> <laughs> she's gonna she's gonna lower her screen time <laughs> yeah I'm gonna lower my own screen time I think yeah yes. in, especially in front of the kids so yeah no thank you so so much for joining us you I feel like you've got such a nice balance between realizing yeah what is realistic mm. versus, versus what can be detrimental and I think this chat has actually made me it's not necessarily that I'm going to take anything away and change it, but it's actually made me feel better about what I am currently allowing and then conscious of not letting that then escalate. You feel lighter. I feel lighter. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.